Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Good morning. I'm Blaise Olson. This is Sunday Take for July 30th, 2022. As we enter August tomorrow, we turn the corner on summer. We kick off with Farm Fest this upcoming week. We had some state finance reports on campaigns this week. And Dean Phillips abandoned Joe Biden's attempt to run again in 2024. As always, it's Minnesota politics and there's nothing that's predictable. When we come back, we're going to preview Farm Fest. We're going to talk about the mood of Minnesota this week. And we're going to dig deeper into Democrats' dilemma with Joe Biden and the opportunity around energizing their base related to the choice and abortion issue. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Well, the week that was, the week that will be, the buzz of this upcoming week will be the governor's debate and forum at FarmFest. That's on Wednesday. We will stream it live on our digital channels at WCCORadio.com, on our Facebook page. I will moderate the first conversation between Dr. Scott Jensen and Governor Tim Walls at FarmFest. We will rebroadcast that on Wednesday night on WCCO Radio. So tune in and follow along on Twitter and send some questions to me at bloysolson at gmail.com. I'd be happy to try to weave them into the conversation. You know, Farm Fest is really kind of the first sense we get of the mood of Minnesota. And I think it's good because it's the mood of greater Minnesota. Greater Minnesota obviously has gotten more red or Republican. And we've also had this kind of sense of where is the farm economy and how does that impact people? Obviously, President Trump brought a new energy to greater Minnesota and to rural voters. But Republicans have a challenge. Can they keep that energy? Can they turn out those voters that voted for President Trump or only vote in presidential years. I have no doubt that we are going to see a packed building on Wednesday. Commissioner Tom Peterson will preview that later. And just where are we at with the ag economy? Because the mood of farmers is dependent on prices, costs, and the weather. 
Now, the other big news of this week was that Attorney General Keith Ellison is choosing not to appeal the ruling that threw out restrictions on abortion in Minnesota. Obviously, since the overturning of Roe, abortion politics is front and center. And it's front and center because Democrats need their base energized. Some modelers are saying that the decision of Roe means that there could be 100 to 200,000 more voters than previously predicted in Minnesota. But 2018 was a banner year for Democratic turnout. In fact, it was the highest turnout ever. Jeff Johnson, the Republican nominee in 2018, got more votes than any Republican governor's candidate ever. And he still lost by a few hundred thousand votes to Governor Tim Walz. Walls knows that they need that kind of energy and that kind of turnout to peak in this four to six point race. I'm kind of handicapping this race as a four to six point race until it's four to six weeks left. The one variable is money. And this week it came out that Scott Jensen, while having solid fundraising numbers, is still being outpaced by Governor Walls at a level that is not sustainable. So fast forward a few weeks. Scott Jensen goes up on TV and Tim Walls can double or triple his money. Tim Walls can talk about the fact that we have a $9 billion surplus and a Republican legislature didn't allow rebate checks. Well, Scott Jensen is trying to make the issue about crime or public safety. The dominant messages are going to be what independent voters hear the most of. And again, it's a four to six point race because I think there's no more than 10% undecided in this race. And I think incumbents have a challenge this year, especially incumbent Democrats. But the money battle is going to matter. And it's going to matter, just so you know, on multiple fronts. If Scott Jensen shows that he's competitive, he will attract national money. If it doesn't look like he's competitive, national money will go to other states where Republicans believe they have a better shot. And when they do that, then Jensen will struggle uh, to keep up in messaging. You know, the Jensen campaign had a better week when it came to message discipline. And it'll be interesting to see the topics and the issues that Scott Jensen chooses to talk about at this forum. Because it's really going to be his first chance to get Governor Walls to respond to some of his allegations. And for Governor Walls, a guy that doesn't always do well when criticized, it'll be interesting to see how he responds to face-to-face criticism from Jensen in a crowd that's been known to moan or groan or cheer right there live. There'll be a thousand, maybe more people in that barn on Wednesday. And we'll get a sense of where they are. They're showing up because they're interested and curious and they're invested. And that's where we want voters to be. They got to follow these issues and the issues are changing week by week. But the fact of the matter is that Minnesota is a populist state. Our history is populism. The issues are populist. And whether or not we're in a recession, whether or not we have a labor shortage, 
is all going to come down to how Minnesotans feel about their own situation and their feeling about the direction of the state or the direction of the country. And we're going to get that first sense of how Minnesotans feel on Wednesday. I hope you tune in. When we come back, Agriculture Commissioner Tom Peterson, he travels the state every week. He hears from farmers. He talks to leaders in greater Minnesota. And he tries to represent those views back to Governor Walls and to the legislature. He'll tell us what he's hearing because he's been on the road a lot this week. I'm Blois Olson, and you're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The first guest this morning on Sunday Take is Agriculture Commissioner Tom Peterson. Tom uh, travels the state. He talks to a lot of farmers. And in preview of Farm Fest this coming week, where we're going to get a real sense of the mood of greater Minnesota and, and the agriculture community, not just about politics, but also about the economy and an upcoming farm bill. Uh, I thought it'd be good to check in, and I know he's been driving around the state. Commissioner, thanks for joining me. Uh, Great to join you this morning, boys. Commissioner, um, you know, just as you've been traveling, uh, obviously we've got some drought situations. We've got some higher prices. We've also got some higher costs. What's your sense of the mood of farmers and and where their mindset is this midterm election year? You know, I think it's, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic. You know, I, I think that uh, the, the one thing that I'd say in talking to like our finance uh, experts at the department, people that work with farmers, is that they'll, they'll tell us that farmers uh, balance sheets are in pretty good shape, you know, that they uh, best they've seen in, in quite a while, you know, and uh, prices are good. Uh, you know, there's uh, there's markets right now and everything for just about every commodity. Uh, the problem, as you mentioned, is the inputs, you know, so I think a lot of farmers are looking at how do I manage that? And so that's going to be, you know, pretty interesting. And then and then the weather, you know, I think that, uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, 30 percent of Minnesota is abnormally dry or more. Uh, in the drought, you know, just to point out, though, a year ago t- today, we were 100 percent of the state was abnormally dry and 80% of the state was in a severe drought. And so just to point out how bad that drought was, it's interesting. The drought this year is really centered around the twin cities metro area. Um, You know, but we're still in that case where if we get a couple of good rains right now, which we've gotten in the last couple of days, we could pull out of that drought. So like I say, cautiously optimistic. Commissioner, one of the things over the last couple of years has been, the volatility from the pandemic to the drought um, and mental health. We've talked about it before. We, uh, you know, and I know the legislature and and the administration have done a lot on that. Um, You and I had some pretty raw conversations a couple of years ago about the calls you were getting from farmers. Has that cautious optimism helped in, in some ways with the mental health crisis in greater Minnesota? You know, I'd say somewhat, you know, but I, I'd say we still have a lot of work to do. You know, uh, 
Um, you know, we've been thankful that we've had legislators uh, step up and help us with funding. But you look at 2018, we had very low prices. Yeah. 2019, we had the wettest year on record. 2020, COVID hit. 2021, we had a, dr- a drought. 2022, we have the windiest year and the latest planting we've had in years. So there's constant stresses for farmers. You know, I've I've unfortunately known two farmers that have taken their life even this last year. And so it, we always continue to work on that. And then the other thing, you know, I think is farm safety is a big initiative for our department is to really work on farm safety because stress leads to accidents too. And so that's, uh, you know, we have the counselors that are free for uh, farmers. We have farm advocates, you know, so we have a good suite. It's just getting sure and making sure farmers know about them. One one thing that I think you bring up with farm safety, it reminds me of, of some of the initiatives to keep families in greater Minnesota, to make sure young people still want to farm. There was some census data that came out this week that talked about, you know, people in Minnesota, no surprise to you and I, stay a little closer to home than other parts of the country. Um, <laughs> what kind of, what sense are you getting about people wanting to farm you know, move back to their home area, kind of take over the family farm. Any sense of that? Because, uh, you know, Congressman Emmer this this week proposed some legislation and wants wants to explore kind of um, foreign ownership of farmlands. Is there a balance? Is it getting out of balance? You know, I'm excited about it in a lot of ways. You know, I know we say farms get bigger and we see you know, um, consolidation and farming, but we see some good trends too. We see the local uh the local food movement bringing a lot of people back to farms, really, too, in the, I call it the Twin Cities to Canada, kind of along that. We see an increase of farms in that area, but they're selling to local markets, maybe um, direct marketing. But we're also seeing um, broadband is really changing farming, too, where if you look at even in our own agency at the Department of Agriculture, a lot of our employees are from the farm. Uh, and because they can work at home or they can uh, do different things. If, the, if broadband's in those areas, they can move back to the farm. They can have a job. They can help farm. Um, very excited about that because I've seen that happen uh, quite a bit. And then at the state, we have to have great programs, which we do. We have better programs than any other state. We have a beginning farmer loan program at the department, which we are, you know, quite frankly, overrun with right now. And we also have a beginning farmer tax credit that helps transfer farmland. And so, Minnesota is well prepared to help lead that. But, you know, I, I so I'm, I'm optimistic about it, you know, and I just want to keep building on that because, as you said, it, it's really important that we keep that generation. There's a lot of, you know, mid 50 age people look a lot like me that are farming and we need to be able to pass those farms to the next generation. My guest is Commissioner Tom Peterson. He's the Commissioner of Agriculture for the state of Minnesota. In preview of FarmFest, we're kind of just getting a sense of the mood of Minnesota farmers and ag community. Commissioner, um, there is a farm bill on the horizon in Congress. It is always, uh, I'd call it, you know, a giant puzzle piece. Uh, And we used to have, obviously, a lot of insight when Congressman Peterson was chairman of the Ag Committee. Um, But, you know, there's new members of Congress there for us. What do Minnesotans want? in the next farm bill, what would be most important for Minnesota farmers? Well, first and foremost for me is always a a strong safety net for farmers. You know, that, uh, that, that, that is 
for me is the the first thing that's important for if we do have uh, areas or times when we have uh, failures or we have market problems that we are able to keep our farmers and ride out those tough times. And then if we have good times, like where we have prices now, and we don't use those support programs. That's okay. But it's so volatile that those price supports are incredibly important to farmers, whatever they are. Um, but we have things like conservation programs. Uh, we need to really look at our conservation programs and uh, uh, climate is going to be a big issue in the next farm bill and looking at how we incentivize farmers for, you know, using cover crops and no-till, uh, a trade title, a biofuels title. Uh, all these things are incredibly important for the for the state of Minnesota. Minnesota is an agricultural powerhouse. You look at, you know, we balance well in our uh, cash receipts between crops and livestock. We're a number two uh, pork producing state, number one, uh, you know, in turkeys, we are, are rank high in everything else. So, um and, and then also the food programs, you know, I think it's a good idea that the food uh, uh, support programs are also tied to the farm bill. And so, uh, you know, just, and then last thing I'd just say, boys, is we are lucky to have, you know, representation, you know, Senator Klobuchar is a, is a high ranking member now on the Senate A committee, as well as Senator Smith. You know, we have people like Angie Craig, uh, you know, on the House A committee and Michelle Fishbach. And so we do have important roles uh, within that farm bill discussion. Final topic, uh, you know, just look ahead to Farm Fest. What do you think? Is there anything you think that, um, you know, people want to hear from leaders? They want to know uh, policy-wise at a state level that is either going to change or be, you know, consistent uh, in the years to come. Yeah, you know, Farm Fest is a great opportunity. And I, I really think, uh, you know, we're going to see big crowds at Farm Fest on Tuesday and especially Wednesday when we have the governor's debate. No farmers, I think, uh, and they just want to know that they're being listened to is uh, really what it what it comes down to. And so I think that being able to uh, have those open forums and to see the candidates right up close and everything is incredibly important. And, and then, as you said, you know, here's some of those ideas. Uh, you know, I think uh, Wednesday at Farm Fest with the governor's debate is going to be an incredible attendance. Uh, just about everybody I've talked to is coming out there on Wednesday. I don't know if that's good or bad uh, for uh, people that no want to No pressure go. for me, Tom. No pressure. <laughs> you know, it's a no pressure, boys. That's right. And uh, But I, I think, uh, you know, but but it shows the interest that people have in, in, in seeing that. And they're great opportunities. I have a lot of great memories of, you know, 20 plus years of being out there. Sounds good. Well, Commissioner, I will see you at Farm Fest both Tuesday and Wednesday, and uh, I'm going to spend some time this weekend uh, getting ready for that forum on Wednesday. So thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. Commissioner mentioned it, but on Wednesday, we will stream on WCCRadio.com and our social channels live the Governor's Forum. The first time Governor Walls will uh, sit and have a discussion and face-to-face with Scott Jensen, his Republican challenger. And then we'll rebroadcast that Wednesday night because the Twins play during the day on Wednesday. But you can catch that on WCCRadio.com, any of our social channels. And you can be sure that we will ask them about not just farm issues, but about rural Minnesota issues as well. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Our final segment this Sunday morning and cup of coffee is with Kent Beadle. He's the director of producer brokerage, CHS Hedging. Uh, he's going to be at Farm Fest on Tuesday. I'm going to be there Tuesday and Wednesday. And Kent joins me now on the Sunday Tech. Kent, thanks for joining me. Pleasure to be with you today. So, Kent, um, as you start to you know look at the fundamentals of the ag economy throughout the Midwest and in Minnesota, what do you see right now in 2022? Well, we've had a, a nice rebound in uh, farmer revenues. Uh, mm-hmm. with higher prices that uh, that have come in the last couple of years, um, sort of the aftermath of the the trade deal that we did with China and then uh, some some market issues where production hasn't been uh, great in different parts of the world, and that's allowed prices to uh, to move higher, our supply demand balance um, you know in all of the major commodities, corn, soybeans, and wheat are relatively tight. Uh, so this has given growers lots of good opportunities to market their crops uh, profitably. And uh, that's helped uh, farmer incomes rebound and farmer balance sheets, uh, at least at this point in time, to look fairly good. You know, one of the issues last year was drought. A few years ago, it was too wet. Obviously, COVID, the China trade deal was helpful. Are there any other challenges on the horizon or any kind of key parts of the next farm bill that you see as critical? Well, there certainly are challenges. Uh, There's no doubt about that. Input costs are uh, certainly an issue for growers today. Um, Prices of fertilizer are significantly higher than they have been, offsetting some of the benefit of these higher prices. Uh, another issue for growers uh, across the Midwest is labor. Um, you know, most of our uh, larger farmers are not only running just a small family farm, but ultimately end up needing to employ people on their farm in order to help uh, get the crop sown, get it sprayed, get it harvested. And uh, that labor has been scarce and it's been expensive. Uh, and it's been a very difficult issue for them. And that's no different than, you know, most businesses around the country, whether uh, whether it's in agriculture or outside of agriculture. Labor is is definitely an issue. Um, what, you know, then go ahead. No, just I mean, on labor, just I, I mean, I think that is one of the things that we hear about in metros. We hear about it in more populated centers. But, you know. Labor has been an issue, I think, for a few years uh, in the ag economy. And one of the issues is just competitive wages between other industries in rural areas or, you know, regional centers. Um, There's been some population migration back out to rural areas after the pandemic. But are there is it about do they need to improve automation? Is it is it a wage issue? Any sense of what the the micro trends are there on the labor challenges for ag? 
Well, it's first of all, it's just numbers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there there isn't as much labor uh, in the economy, and and uh, we have a competitive issue as well. Um, you know, many many jobs are being filled at at much higher uh, uh, labor rates, and mm -hmm. um, it's pulling it's pulling people away. Uh, again, it's the same, it's the same issue that, uh, many people in, in urban America have to deal with as well. Um, you know, I think that there are other, other macro issues behind this. Um, you know, we, we talk about lots of, uh, lots of people leaving the labor force since COVID. I mean, COVID has been a driver of this. There's no yep. doubt about it. Um, we have an awful lot of baby boomers that have retired and that's tightened up the labor force. And it's amazing how interconnected rural and urban America ultimately end up being with these labor issues, but, uh, it reverberates through the entire economy, not, not just the, uh, uh, industrial economy or just the agricultural economy. These, uh, these economies are connected and it makes a difference. My guest is Kent Beadle. He's with CHS. He follows markets and ag very closely, including prices and hedging. You know, I think you talked about, you mentioned the interconnectivity of rural areas and urban areas. There's an interconnectivity in ag between energy, crops, inputs, outputs. As you look at those pieces, what, what levers are critical to make sure that either they're not pushed too far or they're pulled back a little uh, to continue to, I guess, you know, be optimistic or maintain some stability. Well, um, you know, when we talk about the connectivity between energy and agriculture, that's a, that is a huge uh, issue today. Um, of course, agricultural prices were buoyed in the uh, mid 1990s through the through the mid 2000s, as ethanol grew dramatically in the United States, and the um, uh, the EPA and the RFS uh, ultimately ended up creating a, a situation where ethanol demand grew dramatically. We have a similar situation underway right now in um, renewable diesel, mm -hmm. and. Uh, this is not a federal mandate, but there have been statewide mandates in places like California and Oregon and Washington that is creating uh, extraordinary demand for soybean oil. Um, and you see in conversions of, um, of energy plants, uh, of refineries away from uh, gasoline and uh, diesel fuel to actually refining renewable diesel from soybean oil. So that has had an impact on the amount of uh, gasoline and diesel fuel that get produced in the U.S. And that that happened with COVID. You know, we didn't have as much demand for a period of time. So we didn't, we had lower prices, but now those prices have come back up. And yet we have the mandates coming from these states to burn more renewable diesel in our uh, uh, in our trucks, and that's uh, that's created some higher prices for soybeans, and uh, better better prices for rural America and for farmers. Um, and it's and it's um, you know going to obviously 
uh, help with uh, with climate, but it's but it's changed uh, that interconnectivity between energy and um, and agriculture uh, the same way that ethanol did here um, twenty years ago. Kent, as we wrap up here, you know, if you look out a few years, there is kind of policy push to electrify everything. Obviously, that would impact uh, renewable fuels, including, you know, renewable diesel as well. Um, any projections or, or thoughts on, you know, how strong, how long the renewable market will be strong? Um, more than likely for quite some time. Uh, you know, no one knows exactly how long it's going to take. Um, you know, we did some work on the conversion to electric vehicles and mm-hmm. um, the timeline that has been set out by the Biden administration to get to essentially 50 percent um, cars uh, that are electric sold by 2030. Um, you know, the math on this is that if you actually are able to achieve that goal, and I don't know if it can be achieved or not, but if you do achieve it, given the lifespan of an internal combustion vehicle, um, we will still have in 2030, you know, over 80% of the vehicles on the road will be internal combustion engines. And so that will still require an awful lot of gasoline and an awful lot of ethanol at that point in time. Um, There's also, you know, questions about how quickly um, trucks are going to be able to be converted to electric. That process is likely to take a lot longer. And so while we have a little less demand for ethanol over this period of time as we convert to more electric cars, more than likely we're going to see the, uh, the demand for renewable diesel be increasing over that period of time, not decreasing. So what it portends is that maybe a shift from some corn acres to soybean acres, but not necessarily uh, a bad situation for the agricultural economy. Sounds great. Kent Beadle, Director of Producer Brokerage at CHS Hedging. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Thank you very much. When it's Sunday at nine in Minnesota, we go deep on the issues of the day. <laughs> this week, our preview of Farm Fest. I'll be out at Farm Fest on Tuesday and Wednesday. I'll be moderating the gubernatorial forum on Wednesday. Feel free to follow along on Twitter, follow Bloy Solson, sign up for our newsletters at fluence-newsletters.com. Talk to you next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time, baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.